Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strum. So glad you're here with me today. Today's show is going to be a little different since Wrestling Junkie launched last year. We haven't taken the time to do a topic show in a while, so that's what we have today. I'm joined by the managing editor of Wrestling Junkie, Nick Tilwalk, to chat about everything that's going on in the world of pro wrestling. Since Nick was last on the show, WWE got super hot, merged with UFC under Endeavor's umbrella of TKO. Now Paul Levesque seems to have replaced Vince McMahon, the top WWE creatively. AEW sets up attendance records at Wembley Stadium, struggles domestically of, with interest a little bit, both ratings-wise and in attendance. Tony Khan keeps finding himself in the public eye for weird reasons. So there's a lot going on in pro wrestling. And what becomes of all that? We'll talk about all of that and more. So here we go with the Topics episode with Wrestling Junkies, Nick Tilwalk. Pleased to be with the managing editor of Wrestling Junkie, Nick Tilwalk, today. Nick, welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. Thank you so much, Phil. It's great to be back, and uh, great to be back as you being part, fully part of the Wrestling Junkie team. Really, really excited about how that's come about. Yeah, it's it's been pretty fun. Uh, last time we had you was uh, when everything was just starting to get off the ground with Wrestling Junkie kind of explaining what it is, and uh, and here we are, and now uh, with Under the Ring, Under the USA Today Sports Media Group, too. So, uh, well, we're reason I have you on, we're gonna. There's a lot going on in pro wrestling. We haven't really done anything like this lately, uh, or talked to you in a while. So we're just gonna start talking about some topics in pro wrestling as they come along. First topic, and it's the WWE, and when the merger with Endeavor and UFC and TKO was going down, everybody was saying, "Oh, nothing's gonna change. It's just gonna be WWE like normal." And then and since then, it's come out that the biggest possible change has actually occurred, which would be Vince McMahon no longer being involved in the creative of WWE. Uh, now, Triple H, Paul Levesque uh, being in charge of that. What do you think all that means? Like, what, what, what are you thinking about with that? Well, I think it means that the people in Endeavor want to run WWE as a business first and foremost, right? And I think there were signs all along. I think people in the know in the industry warned us, like, that is going to happen. They're going to look at it very much from a bottom line, how the stock price is doing type of a point of view. And it's one thing to hear that, but then another thing to see it actually play out. And like you said, the biggest possible change. And I think everybody in the industry kind of felt like, well, you know, Vince McMahon can, can pay lip service to the idea of being not in control anymore, all he wants. And Nick Khan was very vocal during the sale or merger process talking about, hey, if it's the right deal, Vince doesn't need to be in charge, right? And and those are things that are easy for them to say. And, and I think we all looked at it with a little bit of skepticism, like, sure, sure, okay, whatever, Vince will probably still be in charge. And now here we are just a few weeks into TKO being a, an actual entity, and um, Vince is not, for, for all intents and purposes, in charge. So uh, it's crazy to think about um, this was kind of like the – I don't know, worst case scenario for him, maybe personally, and it's already happened. You look at the whole picture of it, though, and you feel like TKO is kind of understanding, like you said, what it takes to succeed as a business. Because the last year and a half or whatever it's been so far under Paul Levesque creatively has been critically and financially really, really successful. Like financially wise, maybe one of the most successful errors in the history of WWE. You've still got now 
I'm somebody who, with all the allegations and everything that were going on around Vince McMahon, didn't necessarily think Vince McMahon should be back anyway. But if he is, he's somebody who's been in this business since 1969. So if you're running a wrestling business, who better to turn to, to ask questions to, to bounce things off of than the guy that's literally seen everything I mean, even before he was in the business, you know, he was watching his father run the business since he was 12. And then you look at that brain trust that they have backstage right now. And you've got, you know, people have mentioned Bruce Pritchard, Paul Heyman, Michael Hayes, Ed Kosky. And it's like this company can continue to just operate with this structure probably pretty well for as long as they want to. They it's pretty idiot proof in terms of how many years of mistakes they would have to make in order to make any, you know, you know, so it just seems to me like the right move. And I'm, I'm, I'm shocked that TKO saw it as the right move. Yeah. Although like you said, the, the period of time where they're coming into the merger has been so successful, successful. I feel like at, at wrestling junkie and any other outlet that covers the business, we were writing articles almost, it seemed like on a weekly basis about WWE breaking some attendance record or, you know, some viewership record or something like that. And I think if you are Ari Emanuel or the other people in charge and you're, you're taking a, a, a kind of non-emotional look at things, you're thinking, Oh, well, this is really firing on all cylinders. Why would we want, want to mess that up? And I think that, that, you know, as strange as it seems, Vince is the wild card. If, if he's been sort of removed from the situation, which he was because of the scandals and everything that happened last year, and then he's injecting himself back into it, he's now the wild card instead of the, the reliable part of that equation. And, and if I was, maybe if I, I mean, I don't know what it's like to run a business at that scale or a business of any size, but I would think that you would want to uh, kind of minimize the unknowables as much as you can. And in this, you know, as, as hard as it is to believe because Vince, you know, really built WWE into what it is, he is the wild card. So that's the one thing that you don't want to really leave to chance, I think. And the one thing for as different as the presentation styles are between Vince McMahon and with Paul Levesque, like you can, when you're watching a Vince McMahon show, you know it, when you're watching a Paul Levesque show, you know it. Yeah. Um, But as different as they are, he's been learning under McMahon for like, 25 years. Yeah, so definitely. it's not like he hasn't, you know, he doesn't know all the trial and error Vince McMahon stuff. I wonder yeah. what happens when business ultimately dips and if there will be a gut reaction, like when that does happen, or if they'll just kind of ride it out because they're so high right now, like it's sellouts all over and premium live events that are mostly, you know, the big ones are in stadiums or being bid upon by, cities and you know governments even uh so uh, what do you what do you think happens when when the business dips yeah that's that's a really interesting point right like it's easy to come in and say don't change what isn't broken but it's an entirely different set of circumstances when things aren't going as well but i'm not so sure that there are like what what is a storm cloud that you see on the horizon right like as long as they're smart about continually i, I really like their push uh into some other markets for some of these big shows right because those are those are the places that are like starved for these big events right you can only run even the most loyal and passionate markets i feel like in the united states 
every so often, right? You, ha you have to leave them wanting more at some point, like the old showbiz adage. And I think that some of these overseas markets are the ones that are underserved. And as soon as WWE kind of turned the corner into being like, okay, it's okay if we have, you know, one of our big shows overseas every once in a while. I mean, they, they left basically left the continental North America for several months in a row this year. And not only did they not miss a beat, they actually probably did better in the places they ran than where they would have run here. Um, so I think that's a formula they can keep, uh, I don't want to say exploiting, but keep taking advantage of for a while. Um, and the, the, the media rights deals seem to be on track. Um, I, don't, I don't know what, I don't know what would knock them off uh, the, the run of success that they're having right now. Yeah, and remember too with the, the stuff internationally, you know, recently WWE I believe renewed their trademark for the term global localization, which in the past has been related to Triple H's desire to expand NXT into foreign countries. So that means they're thinking about Mexico, they're thinking about Japan, they're thinking about NXT Europe, and they're thinking about whatever, you know, whatever lies in India or anywhere else. And you know, they're looking for pipelines right now yeah. and they're looking for partnerships. And I think too. Um, so yeah, what I, <laughs> I wrote, what do you see happening with the rights deals? I mean, we've got SmackDown already going to USA next year. I think raw, it sounds like from what Ari Emanuel said the other day, that raw is probably going to fetch a better deal than SmackDown. So I would assume that means network television and maybe SmackDown going to three hours, maybe raw going to two. Yeah. Because it's easier to fit on network television that way. I think NXT is going to do great in the rights deals because they've done nothing but increase their audience in the last year with an incredibly young audience, um, too. So not only that, but they have an incredibly crazy deep roster of young talent ready to go to the main roster now, too. So um, And then you got the WWE Network deal the following year. Uh, when the Peacock deal is up in 2025. So it's just like, yeah, just like, you know, like three and a half billion dollars worth of uh, <laughs> just new revenue coming into yeah, the company. No, no, no problem, big, right? No, no big deal, right? Just, yeah. a, just a couple bill in the coffers. And, like, and yeah. The thing that interested me, and before I get to AEW, because I, I want to talk about some individual wrestlers too at some point too, but like the thing that got to, interested me of something that I think Ari Emanuel was saying around the time of the merger was that they were interested in acquiring other wrestling properties potentially and i started thinking about like, well who like who could that possibly be like impact's already owned by billionaires so they're probably not going anywhere they're owned by anthem mlw is suing wwe right now <laughs> so i doubt very highly that it would be mlw is you know as good as job as they do and court power does with that product i just don't you know when you're in court of law with somebody it's kind of hard to do uh business with them and it got me thinking of the nwa and yeah. they've apparently got some imminent uh broadcast deals coming up they own a significant IP that I think WWE would be very interested in, which is all the history of the National Wrestling Alliance. And I think that they're the most, they're the easiest one to just turn a butt, hit a button and just start producing programming because they're already doing it weekly anyway. And I think they have a lot of respect for Billy Corgan. I don't think there's any heat there at all. Do you, am I crazy or do you think that WWE could actually work with the NWA in some capacity? 
No, I, th- I, 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 that's not something that I had given a lot of thought of to myself, but I, I don't think that's a crazy idea at all for, for the reasons that you just said. Um, some of the other more obvious choices I think are, are kind of a little off the table. As you mentioned, I think uh, prior to Tony Khan buying ring of honor, maybe they would have, you know, if it had the timing of the TKO deal come about differently, I could have absolutely seen them going for ring of honor, but with that off the table, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see, I, I also think that, WWE has gotten better at creating its own self alternatives to to the to the big show, right? Like like the run that NXT has had over the past couple of years proves that after years of kind of like phony, oh, oh we're going to do this with the brand split on Raw and SmackDown and not really giving fans their own you know, internal alternative, they are much better about that now, and I think they're probably better. Uh, probably better situated with Paul Levesque at the at the helm to to do that than any time that Vince was in charge. The one thing with NXT when they switched to the 2.0 model that I thought was a miss, and then they adjusted it basically by having more main roster people go down there and work with wrestlers, was that all of the young wrestlers were just working with all the young wrestlers. Yeah. And they said, you know, nobody's going to get better if they're just wrestling all the same <laughs> level of person every week. So they changed it a little bit with that. But it, if anything happened, with the, and the NWA is actually starting to do it a little bit with Exodus Pro and some of the other companies that they're going to be partnering with now with this ter- revamped territory system they're talking about. But there can never be enough different types of places for young talent, especially if it's, you know, WWE wise, like they like going after not only indie talent, but they like going after really great athletes with no pro wrestling experience. Yeah. So to me, like set yourself up with something in Europe, set yourself up with something in Japan, maybe do this NWA thing. Like just give yourself a lot of different options of where to place people. If you can, Noah is the one I think makes the most sense yeah. in Japan for them. Also, I think they're on the same network as Noah now too. And they just did a whole thing with Muda hosting the introduction to WWE wow. on the, yep. on the, uh, Abima. Is that the name of it? Or I think that's the network they're on in Japan, but, uh, crazy time for WWE. What, what are the main events of uh, WrestleMania right now in your mind? I mean, it, I, I feel like we're we're going to, I, you know, it's really interesting that The Rock kind of threw like a, a monkey wrench into this over the past uh, month or so uh, with his claims about what could have happened this year and whether or not we should take those with a grain of salt and everything like that. Uh, that that'll be the, I think he's, I think he's still the X factor, right? Because I do feel like they're kind of hinting back toward uh, Cody and Roman again. Um, which I think a lot of fans still want to see Cody finish the story. I know, I know that's become a cliche now, uh, but 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 I think it's become like a well loved cliche, right? Like even he references it, and WWE references it. So I think everybody everybody's cool with it now. Um, you know, I, I think either of those could work. Really, really, I think these two topics tie together because WWE's business is so. Um, you know, is so good right now that they don't need to have, it's not like WrestleMania is not going to sell out in Philly because people are upset or don't know what the main event is going to be. Right. That's the other thing that I think is really interesting about this time is that now these shows sell out. So they sell so well, so far in advance, right? Like you, yes, you can still miss on them creatively. Of course. I don't want to say that like, Oh, you can book whatever. I'm not trying to suggest that, but it's not going to, you and I both know that, that Philly is going to be sold out both days next year, no matter what they come up with, with the beta events, right? Like that's, there's no question in my mind. I still think you want to go with your, your best hand because it's the most eyeballs on you for the, for the year. So 
what I was thinking was Rock and Roman Reigns needs to be night two main event. And, that, and this is from somebody who thought Cody should lose last year <laughs> and somebody who thought the main event of this year should be Cody. And that was until The Rock opened his mouth. And then I said, okay. <laughs> so here's what I, I – so my main events would be Rock and Roman Reigns. My main event on the other night would be Charlotte Flair against Jade Cargill. Oh, my gosh. You think they can get there that quickly? Yes. Okay. Um, I don't see any reason not to do it. Um, you know, she developed into a good wrestler while she was in AEW. <laughs> so, you know, they, they have sort of, I want to, I don't want to say a finished product, but they have a lot to work with there. And, yeah. uh, she's obviously a star and you want to take advantage of that while it's still hot. And, yeah. you know, the buzz around her right now is strong. So what I would do then is my main event for Royal Rumble at Tropicana field would be the Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes match, because now you can start moving some of those other matches and sell more tickets and more pay-per-views. If you're selling those still, you're probably not. You're selling subscriptions to Peacock more than likely, (laughs) but um, you could make those into bigger deals. You know, Royal Rumble with Roman and Cody as the main event, plus the two Royal Rumbles sells itself. Yeah. It's, and it's amazing. Uh, So are you talking about the rock, Showing up though in some capacity at that show too to like cost Roman Roman the match to set to set theirs up or not? Yeah, because I don't think that you need the championship for Rock versus Roman Reigns. No, and I I, think, agree, I I agree with that one hundred. I think the head of the table fight is a more important way to go with them. Rock doesn't need the title. Everybody knows he's not gonna. If he wins, <laughs> he's gonna have it for like a month, right? I mean, Roman Reigns has kind of blown and driven a truck through that because he's, he's <laughs> won the title and then not been around for like two or three months too. But um, it's just, I, I just think when you're, you know, the main events of WrestleMania now, like you're on the Today Show the next morning if you win. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, it, you know, it's more important for the company to have something to, for people to talk about necessarily than it is for the most important match of the year. As weird as it is to say that about WrestleMania, but I think Cody and Roman the rumble is almost as big as mania now. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, but, but you would be a hundred percent right then. I mean, it's, it's definitely a new era. If you do a two night WrestleMania and the most important in quotes titles in the company aren't in the main event on either night, that's, that's wild. It's wild to think about. Yeah. They always kind of water down the term main event too, but like, I think they do want to get the women's championship probably back into one of those nights after going to the tag teams, appropriately so last year too i thought uh with Sami Zayn and kevin owens and the usos yeah um so what do you do you know that's what i would do with cody what, what do you do with la Knight? yeah you know you yeah know, his, rise, his <laughs> rise is interesting too although i think if last year showed us anything it's that they're not going to deviate the, the Sami Zayn situation made me feel like okay these guys aren't going to to deviate from whatever plan they've put together, right? Because there was definitely a strong groundswell from, uh, I would say, a sizable percentage of, of wrestling fans. Oh, this is the moment for Sammy. If you were ever going to, if you were ever going to, you know, push Sammy to the moon, this would be the time. He deserves to be in the main event of WrestleMania. I know I got caught up in that a little bit too. And then everything kind of worked out fine for them, yeah. you know? So uh, I don't think that they will necessarily feel like, oh, LA Knight is so over, we must put him into the main event of WrestleMania 40 because they 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 know they, they've had this last year plus of experience going, no, we can we can we can play this out a little bit longer, maybe. 
And then the good thing about Sammy uh, in Montreal at Elimination Chamber, and then also Drew McIntyre in the uh, Clash of the Castle show in Cardiff is Roman and that championship drew amazing houses to local areas for those two guys. And it's not like either one of them were worse off because of losing. I mean, Sami Zayn went on to main event WrestleMania and win a championship. So it wasn't like that was the worst thing. I don't think he was going to say no to main eventing WrestleMania. Um, even if it wasn't in the title that everybody, you know, that other people wanted to see him in. I just think there's so many other things you could like, they have such a huge deck of cards to play with now and talent. That's, we haven't even talked about Gunther you know, oh, sure. of maybe moving him up a notch and putting him in the main event mix, either with Seth Rollins or whoever, you know, he's clearly ready. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's 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 kind of like an embarrassment of riches for them, right? And I'm not sure we would have looked at this situation two years ago and and felt maybe the exact same way, but it does feel like that now. And now with NXT too, you have maybe a little bit more trust in that the call ups are going to make more sense than they did when it was the Triple H NXT and the Vince McMahon main roster. Yeah. Now it's, it's, it's a lot more and there's even more crossover probably now than there's ever been with that brand too. So I think that's well positioned. Um, do you think Roman needs to be on every show in order for that championship to be prominent? No, I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I feel like there, you're, there's probably always a certain segment of fandom that's going to be irritated about it. Some people with, I think, really old school mentalities are like, oh, the championship should be defended on a regular basis, etc. But I think that, uh, you know, having Roman as, you know, kind of a spe- in the special attraction phase of his career, which he clearly is right now, I, I think they've managed to make it work. I, I don't think I don't think it maintains the same week to week cadence. Maybe like I, I felt like there was a time when he was on SmackDown almost every week where people were just chomping at the bit. Like I need to see what's happening next with the bloodline. Right. So having him off for weeks at a time when Sammy was in the middle of it, especially wouldn't have made sense, but they've managed and they've managed, I think to, to keep things going uh, just fine. So moving on to AEW, they set records with all in, at Wembley Stadium, it was impressive. Eighty-one thousand plus people. Um, they've been a little bit of cold, a little bit cold on the business side of things in the U.S. Like, what are they doing right, and what are they doing wrong in your eyes right now? I don't, I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're doing anything wrong per se, right? Like, I do, I don't think there's any question that AEW has cooled off a little bit. I, I think that we all feel it, but. I'm not so sure that there's anything that they've done differently that uh, with the, maybe the exception of the whole CM Punk thing, which, which now seems to be behind them a little bit. I'm not so sure that there's one thing I could point to and say, Oh, they're definitely doing this less effectively than they were doing the year before. But I think they had the advantage of a honeymoon period twice in some ways. And that is when they first formed the company. And then strangely, being able to survive through the pandemic era and keeping things going with the Daily's Place shows and then coming back out into a market that was starved for those kind of things, uh, I think they, they got to have the honeymoon period twice, and that's not taking anything away from them in any way, shape, or form. But now, finally, here we are, several years removed from the pandemic, back in front of live audiences, and now even the second honeymoon period is officially over. Um, 
And and I just think at the same time, WWE got hot, right? Like these two things have kind of run really yeah. close together. Um, when WWE was down before it coincided with their their greatest successes. And so I don't I don't know if they're necessarily doing anything wrong. I, I certainly think last Tuesday during the big um, Dynamite versus NXT head-to-head, uh, I think there was still pretty clear to a lot of people that there's they're not the exact same product, right? There was a little bit of an alternative between the more pro wrestling-oriented and the more sports entertainment-oriented um, points of view, even if they both have elements of both, obviously. But I, but I don't think that they're, they're just – you know, there's factors working against them now that weren't before. And I think a Levesque-led WWE is a little more competition directly for AEW than a McMahon-led WWE would be because I think it's similar enough in style that even, you know, you're going to be going after the same talents when they're free, too, uh, on both sides, when people leave WWE and when people leave AEW. For me, in AEW, it's... um, and WWE's done this well. We mentioned some of the people that they do focus on as stars, but I feel like AEW needs to just pick out between like 10 and 15 people and just say, these are the people we're going to push for the next six months. Now, okay, yes, of course, injuries are going to happen. We've seen that with Adam Cole. Uh, I saw that with my own eyes at Ash Stadium where he jumped off the ramp and broke his ankle. So, um, you know, things are going to change that from time to time. But it, I feel like it's almost like focus on way too many people right now and not enough on like, all right, powerhouse Hobbs and Miro had this match at all out. And here we are like 45 days later. And there's not only been really no follow-up on it, but Hobbs is with Don Callis now. Yeah. Like it's, 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 it's too much jumping around. Like, you know, Luchasaurus turning, or Jack Perry turning heel after Christian turned Luchasaurus heel on him, like within like two or three months. Like it's, 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 it's those kind of swerves that don't really like it, it, you know, at least with WWE, like everybody we kind of mentioned there has been in, on the same track, at least for the last year. And you sort of know their motivations and you know where they're going. And I feel like when I watch AEW sometimes, I, I don't know what's going to switch from show to show. And I think that's a weakness for them. Let, let me give you an example, and I'll see I'll see if you agree with me or not on them. Ricky Starks is, to me, the kind of the poster boy for, I think, what you're talking about with AEW. Because it's not like some fans will say, oh, they didn't do enough to push Ricky Starks. He's been in programs with some of the top names in the company, right? Like he has, he has rubbed up against the top people. So it's not that they haven't done it, but it's just that it gets lost in a lot of other things. And it's not consistent from week to week, right? Like the stuff that they did with him over the past couple months has just been so up and down in terms of like, are they really making him one of the faces of the company or is it just getting kind of lost in all of these other things? And I, and I think that to me, he, to me is the biggest example because I think like most people agree, like he has everything, right? He's a great worker. He's got charisma, incredible look, Uh, like a good talker. I think, I think maybe some people, some people think put him up in the very, very top echelon of talkers. I would consider him maybe a step down from that, but still fantastic on the mic. Like really everything. He has the whole package. But but I don't think that they have done like a consistent job of pointing to him on a week to week or month to month basis and go look at this guy. 
And then the problem too there just with Starks alone is that he was in like sort of a co-starring role on Collision yeah. where the audience has totally tanked on that show now that college football season is upon us and also yeah. it's going up against UFC pay-per-views and WWE premium live events and everything else that anyone happens to be doing on a Saturday. But um, so that's tough. Like if you're, if you're going to make all of his key moves on collision, most of your audience is not going to see them. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's a problem. MJF's creative in general right now, he's the world champion and he's clearly one of the best performers in the world. I don't think anybody can really say that he's not, but um, he, you know, the last two pay-per-views it was, uh, or I'm trying to think it was, yeah, it was the last two pay-per-views. He wrestled the, uh, the dark order. Yeah. And he wrestled the righteous. Yeah. In tag team matches after also wrestling Aussie open at uh, Wembley, in addition to the Adam Cole match too. But it's like, if he's your world champion, I understand that the Cole injury happened, but like, where's his, I mean, I, I see that his next feud is Jay White now and I get it, but it took a long time to get there <laughs> and a comedy match opener against the righteous. As much as I like the righteous, it's just, I, I don't see how that's a good creative for him. Yeah. And, and I think that might be a, that might be, I think tying into some of the issues you see with AEW too, right? Is that here's a guy who's clearly over as a face after doing some tremendous heel work for several years. Right. And, and just, they were able to seamlessly flip the switch. Right. And that speaks to the things that they do well, but then you, you are kind of squandering your opportunity with him, right? And and nobody, I don't think anybody would say, oh, well, the, the storyline with Adam Cole was a mistake because it clearly was not. It was super entertaining. Yeah. It sold them a bunch of merchandise. It did really well. But at the same time, uh, you run the risk of spreading him too thin. You're, you're booking him in tag team matches, which don't seem to serve any purpose of driving his personal narrative along. Um, we'll see. I'm curious to see how this... Uh, upcoming program with with Jay White goes because you know Jay White is someone who has a ton of talent, a ton of personality too. But unless you were unless you were someone who watched New Japan, you don't realize what a big deal Jay White is when they brought him in, right? It's not like somebody coming over from WWE. It's not even I would argue maybe someone coming in like like Kenny Omega when he started the company. I just feel like Jay was like maybe another step down in terms of mass recognition. So they have an opportunity here to really, really, you know, kind of make a star out of Jay White on the, on the, you know, the mass level as well, but, but they have to, they have to kind of get it right and they can't spend a lot of time fooling around with other stuff. Yeah. And I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the thing I've been complaining about on social media for about the last week now, which is using anti-Semitism in that MJF angle with Jay White and Juice Robinson. It's just, look, uh, you know, I, full disclosure am of half Jewish heritage. So half of my family is Jewish. Um, it's just, there's never a good time to use anti-Semitism, and people will argue, Oh, well you can use it in art. You can use it in movies, this and that. But to me, it's like on a wrestling show that's before a live audience, some of whom aren't educated on why anti-Semitism is wrong or don't understand anti-Semitism or haven't experienced it for that matter. If you're giving a voice to that, you're welcoming the wrong type of 
response back to it. And especially right now with what's going on in Israel and in Gaza, it just, it hit me like it, that thing hit me like a ton of bricks right in the face. And I was like, anybody who was following me on Twitter could probably sense that, but um I mean, why you don't, they're supposed to be better than this. Right. I mean, yeah. And I feel like it's maybe even more disappointing from AEW than WWE, if that's fair to say, just because I feel like they have not only uh, paid lip service to, but really made strides in terms of community involvement and inclusivity. And I honestly do think that they believe in those things. So to come out and be kind of tone deaf on one particular issue like this one and, and the timing of it more than anything, right? Like, I think we talked about it amongst ourselves and said, well, maybe pro wrestling isn't the space for this to have a nuanced, you know, discussion, despite the best intentions of MJF or anybody involved. But but then the timing on top of it makes it very yeah. difficult to see how it could turn out to for, for the best, I think. And I, you know, I appreciate MJF's, you know, trying to get in the head, trying to get ahead of it a little bit and saying, hey, you know what? I'm Jewish. This is my story. This is my story of what I've seen in my life. And that and that's fine. But the, the problem with that for me is like you don't know what other people are feeling. Yeah. MJF like it's yeah. like it's not I can appreciate that you've been through it and I get it. But like it's not just you and i just think that they need to be a little more sensitive i didn't see collision but i don't think there was any follow-up on that particular line of it if i'm not mistaken no not 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 in any like significant way that they did show the mjf i guess uh the um anti-jewish hate uh event that he attended with uh robert Kraft and a few other people i think too so um hopefully some of the dialogue can lead to some positive things uh, for AW, even if uh, I'm angry about it in the moment, I'm sure something else will happen in wrestling tomorrow that will get me either happy or angry or whatever like that. But yeah, just uh, yeah, just it, not my not my thing. It does it does seem to be uh, you know kind of to put a bow on on how long and how much has happened since the first time that we talked on this show. Uh, it, it's pretty crazy to me to think that over the past you know, 18 months, let's say, since Wrestling Junkie has gone live, like, has really been a nonstop, eventful oh, yeah. time in, in in the pro wrestling industry. Like, we really could not have asked for a better backdrop in terms of there has never been a time that that we've been sitting around editorially and said, oh, I'm not so sure what we're going to, to talk about this week because literally just about every week, something interesting, something significant has been happening. And, and from that perspective, like, uh, it, it's been an amazing time to to kind of be involved in this. I made the joke at the start of the year that maybe I should just write down what the most interesting thing is that happens in wrestling every day <laughs> in the course of a year and then see what it looks like at the end. But even this year, you'd have, you'd have had days where you had like nine things. Like yeah. it's speaking of, you know, just activity and news and wrestling, like two questions here. I'm going to throw you and this will probably wrap because we're at the point of probably wrapping at this point, but where does CM Punk go from here? Uh, I mean, just the the reports that came out within the past week or so su- suggesting that he was interested in a WWE reunion and they were not quite so interested uh, makes that question even more interesting to me, right? Because there's a certain percentage of people, and I think a lot of them are diehard CM Punk fans who are just convinced that this will that this is going to happen, right? That he's either going to be at Survivor Series or he'll be at Royal Rumble sometime soon. 
But I think that it's very possible that it might sink in soon, that that's not going to happen. And so, uh, I mean, to a certain extent, as weird as it sounds, like the ball is somewhat in his court, like reliable, knowledgeable people that, that I, I rely on um, for, for, for inside information are suggesting, hey, if he wanted to go to Impact, he would be welcome there. If he mm-hmm. wanted to go to New Japan, he would be welcome there. So at this point in his career, does he, after all that he's been through, still you know, wake up in the morning and be like, I really want to do this? Because if he does, he has alternatives, but he's going to have to accept the fact that they're not going to be on the same scale with you know North American fans, especially as he's used to. So does he does he want to keep doing it? You know, that's that's what it comes down to. Or what those companies are even able to pay him to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I will note that Impact is in Chicago for their pay-per-view on Saturday. I will note that the NWA is owned by Billy Corgan, who is a huge Chicago Cubs fan and from Chicago himself. So lots of lots of different connections of, of, of things that we can uh, we can spe- you know speculate about. He can end up back. He can end up back in AEW for all we know. I, I mean, that's it's not it's not impossible. I, no. I feel like he he is the guy who proves what we talk about sometimes about how difficult it is to to completely burn bridges in pro wrestling. Like Sam Punk is the guy who proves that that's true, right? Because the, you know he had as messy a breakup with WWE as it, there could possibly be, and yet I think there was still or still could be a real chance that he shows up there. He gets fired from AEW. I think we both agree he could end up back there at some point too. Like it's not impossible. If the right things happen, I think I, I think you could see it happen. Um, did the elite need to be more involved in AEW? It kind of feels like they're a little bit of an afterthought right now. Whew. You mean you mean like just in major angles? In like, stories? Yeah. In just re- more regularly on the TV. Yeah. Do, do you do you feel like it suffers from them not being on TV on a weekly basis? I feel like what I was sold from AEW from the start is something I haven't totally gotten, which is we have Kenny Omega, who is the best wrestler in the world, and we're going to give you Kenny Omega against as wide a variety of opponents as humanly possible. I feel like Brian Danielson has gotten that, and I don't think Kenny Omega has gotten that. And, that, and that's a fair that's a fair critique, right? Because I, I do think what you said is true that that was how it was pushed at the very beginning of the company. And it's weird that they took almost the completely opposite tact and said, "Oh, well, let's save Kenny singles matches and try to make them as special as possible." That really isn't their mo in any other in any other way with any other uh, performer. But they seem to have tried that with him. Because even if you look at like what they do with Eddie Kingston, like even as Ring of Honor champion, as has also got the New Japan Strong Openweight Championship right now, he seems to be facing a extremely wide variety of yeah. opponents. In I, I loved, I don't even like Commander as a performer that much, and I really enjoyed Eddie Kingston versus Commander yeah. because it was just Eddie knows how to work lucha. Commander's sort of new and feeling his way through wrestling and. They had a nice match, and it was on. I think that was on either Rampage or Collision. I don't remember which one it was on, but um, just a fun match to watch, and just yeah, an interesting yeah. style. And I, I like to see Kenny Omega in those kind of type of things because I think he is a guy who can adapt to pretty much anybody. What about the Young Bucks? Do you think they're like Man, they, present they enough? Seem, like, yeah, <laughs> I, it, they seem to me to be like, especially Matt Jackson. From all, a lot of his comments, he, he I, I, you know, I would never question their their passion or. No. heart for sure but but matt seems like he's like uh, 
had to be, con- you know, kind of convinced to be to keep going, maybe um, that that he might just, you know, want to step back. So I, I don't know. For for them, I feel like maybe their decision on whether to keep being full time wrestlers sounded like maybe it was a little bit more difficult than the other members of the elite. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I think that we've seen a lot of really great tag team matches featuring the Bucks. The only other thing I think that people think about sometimes is, you know, they kind of teased maybe a singles run here for Nick Jackson, and that they didn't go in that direction. But but are people out there clamoring for Matt and Nick to to have significant singles runs? I I don't know if that's a big thing. They want the young Bucks, and then the other thing too with that. Before I go into what I'm gonna. Just proposes the three count because we have to end it with some sort of three count. We can't get <laughs> for tradition's sake. Yeah, like if you're not, how do I say this? Okay, I, I understand where they're going with like the Adam Copeland and Christian Cage angle right now, but there is only so long of a period of time that you have to do Copeland and Christian Cage, the Hardys, and the Dudleys, yep. and the Bucks yep. in a four way. <laughs> before the real carton expires there. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I, um, I think there's some money left on the table if you don't do the tour, like especially since they teased it in the promos. Yeah, well, this is why this is why I'm glad that I'm not a wrestling promoter, right? Because I would be, I, I think I would be neurotic about, am I going to miss the opportunity for this? Or am I missing the, the window that, I could set this up uh, that that would keep me up at night all the time. Right. Like no matter how good a card that you think that you have for your upcoming event, the opportunity cost always seems like it would be haunting you somehow. All right. I'm going to, as far as far as the three count goes, I'm going to throw it to you for three AEW talents that we haven't mentioned here that we should be keeping an eye on in the next, uh, I'll say six months. Over the next six months, well, I would say uh, Wardlow, for one. I think they kind of have have maybe not dropped the ball with him, but I I feel like in my mind he is definitely one of the L.A. Knight-esque stories that they've had in the sense that he kind of got over on his own. Um, people love him. Uh, they react. Live crowds react strongly to him, no matter what the size of those live crowds might be right now. Um, I, I just really feel like maybe they even realize like we have something here. We need to do something significant with him soon, or else we've missed the boat on him. So Wardlow number one, uh, Tony Storm number two. I am I'm just really 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 thrilled with what they've been doing with Tony over the past couple months. Um, she's more interesting to me than at any time that she's been in AEW. Uh, she was already a great talent, but um, they've actually told an ongoing narrative within the women's division, which they haven't really uh, done well uh, throughout their co- the company history, to be honest. Uh, and so the evolution of the character has come out of the story and it's been great. She's thrown herself into it like a hundred percent. And I just, uh, I just really feel like they're, they're going to keep doing interesting things with her. I would be disappointed if they did not. I think they um, need to be careful on too much comedy there. Yeah, I think, I, that's fair. That's fair. I, I, I think I think the the comedy becomes becomes. I mean, look at like a Danhausen, right? Like mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like the there's a danger that you get typecast in that way. But but they've also shown that Orange Cassidy. Uh, I think he's shown that you can you can also move beyond it too. And and so uh, 
I, I, it's, it's a caution, right? It's a caveat, but I don't the think fine line. Think. Yeah. 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 And then uh, for a completely different reason, I think Jack Perry and only because I'm very curious to see if and how he comes back from his suspension. Right. Like I, I don't think that I, I really don't think that he's hit upon like either as a face or a heel, the character that can get him uh, to the next level. Um, if, if you look at the the guys that they talked about as the four pillars, even though they didn't always like that terminology, I feel like they've done at least a, a passable to amazing job with all of those guys at some point or another, except for him. And I'm curious to see if he can bounce back from this. I really am. So I decided to give myself the three WWE ones. First one okay. I'm going to go with is Chad Gable. Because I think his series with Gunther has been as good as anything else on WWE in the last year. And I, it seems like they're only sort of beginning with that story. And he's going to constantly be making it his mission to get back and wrestle Gunther again or, or, or be in that mix. And he's just somebody who's never really been in that mix before. So it's kind of cool to see him get that opportunity because he is so outstanding. Yeah. My second one on the list was the Creed Brothers from NXT. Um they are just freakish athletes. If you've ever seen any of their training videos on social media, they're absolutely ridiculous. Um, I don't think there's any possible way, specifically Julius Creed, but both of them uh, can miss in WWE at all once they get called up because they're just unlike anybody else and just amazing amateur skills and just keep an eye on them. And my, my last one was in the women's division, and I know everybody – you know, the talks about NXT wants to talk about Tiffany Stratton or Roxanne Perez or any of the number of people there. But the one that I've had an eye on for a while uh, out of toxic attraction was JC Jane, who I think is incredibly talented. I think Mandy Rose leaving the company sort of impacted her own progression in a way that was not good, but she sort of was able to reinvent herself. And she's somebody who, when you watch her, solid in the ring and always does something to make you notice her when she's not in the ring. So I just think she'd be such – she'd achieve really quickly, I think, on the main roster if they move her there in the next little while. So she's she's my one there. But, uh, Nick, this was fun. We should do this more often. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining me. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's great to get our uh, get our thoughts and our opinions out there once in a while for, uh, for everybody to consume. Yes, 100%. Thank you so much. All right. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank Nick Kilwalk from Wrestling Junkie for joining me today. Join us on the next episode where our guest will be from Impact Wrestling, Mickey James. Have a great week, everyone.